This passage in Ephesians chapter 6 has been on my mind uh, all week. And these... Um, issue of a battle and a fight and the enemy. And that song that the choir just sang speaks about a true victory that has been won and a victory that's going to ultimately bring total and complete victory. And we sing about that and we look toward it and we look back at what happened at the cross. But we're also right now in this time in between where there remains a battle. There is a real fight right now And there is a real enemy right now. And what happened on that cross is everything. And it matters to us right now. I want to read, if you would read along with me, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writing to this church that he loved so dearly. He had spent more time at Ephesus than he spent probably any place else. And even on his last missionary journey, he stopped by the coast had the Ephesian elders come down and meet him so that he could give them some final words of instruction, weeping together. This is probably the last time I'm going to see you, he was telling them. And and his words are recorded in the book of Acts. Well, later when Paul was imprisoned, he was able to write this letter to those people, those saints. They're at Ephesus and these are his last charge to the the Ephesians. Um, He had warned them when he saw them his last time, that that grievous wolves would enter among them, not sparing the flock, seeking to try to undermine and divide what God was doing there at Ephesus. And as he writes to them uh, this, this final time that we know of, he is warning them to be ready for the warfare that is going on. And so we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray together. Our Father, today, Lord, we come to you asking for your grace and mercy to be upon us today, Lord. I pray, God, for the power of your word to be evident among us, Lord, today, to use it in a way that only you can through the hands of your Spirit to open our eyes, Lord, to see and perceive realities that we're often completely ignorant of. Things, Lord, that go unspoken or unnoticed by us, but, Lord, things that are at work each and every day around us, Lord, for we are truly in a battle. That is how you have framed this, Lord, and not just this passage, but throughout the Scriptures, Lord. This is a real battle, and there is a real enemy. And, Lord, you would have us to take this so seriously. And I pray, Lord, that there would be 
a humility that would cover our hearts and minds as we consider these things today, Lord. But along with that humility, Lord, a hope that would find its resting place, not in our strength, Lord, but solely and completely in you and in the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this and ask in his name and for his sake and glory, for his victory. Amen. I perceive this is going to be a series. I have things that I wanted to say that I don't feel like I can say yet. But I feel like I need to start with laying this foundation to talk about this real enemy, this real battle the Apostle Paul addresses as he's writing to this church. And he's writing to a church. He's writing to people that he knew, that he loved, people that knew the Lord, people that he was concerned about. He was concerned about not just them having been saved, but he was concerned about them continuing to stand. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But I want to look at this passage that we've just read, and I want to talk about our enemy. Paul addresses him right out of the gate. He tells these brethren, and he's including all of them in that church, he says to be strong in the power of his might. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. Put all of it on, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't use that word too much, but it means his schemes. It means his methods, the ways that he works. Paul would write to the Corinthians and said, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. I feel often today we are ignorant. We're unaware of the way that Satan works, and I want us to spend some time thinking about that today. But Satan is an enemy who strategizes. He thinks about how to come at us. Okay, He has methods and ways that he works. He has things he wants to accomplish, which, which, which is ultimately to undermine everything God's trying to do. And his desire is to ruin you. He doesn't care for you. He's a murderer. The Bible says he's been a murderer from the beginning. And so his desire in your life is absolute destruction. And Paul calls our interface with the devil wrestling. He says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. But he says, we are wrestling with, and then he goes on to describe several things here I'll talk about in a moment. But wrestling literally means hand-to-hand combat. It's the close up in your face, in your life. Not something you can just do at a distance in a sanitary way. This is not a work for snipers. This is up in your life. This is where Satan wants to be. Up in your life, hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat with you. We're not fighting an enemy like us, though. We're fighting an enemy that's not like us. Not like us. Doesn't have our limitations. We'll talk more about his strengths in a moment. Paul goes on and describes this enemy. He says, we're not wrestling against people, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And And what he's laying out there is he's laying out ranks. In fact, when the Bible talks about ranks of angels, it uses some of these same words. And so what's kind of implied is that when Satan and his demons, which are all fallen angels, fell away, they maintained some of that structure, some of that organization, some of the ways that they have ranks of angels. Even today, there are ranks and organization of demons. And the idea is that this isn't just kind of some random thing Satan's doing. He's got demons and deployed and and powers and authorities and all these different things working out 
trying to come at us. And that final phrase, spiritual wickedness in high places, is a reference to Satan's entire demonic army. The whole army of Satan that is coming after us. Jesus encountered in his ministry many demons. He recognized them for who they were, called them out, cast them out, had power to do those things. You go back in the book of Daniel and you read about an angel that came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 and he spoke about how he was delayed because the prince of Persia withstood him. But Michael, who was a prince, also came and helped out. Speaking of the angel, archangel Michael, and some sort of archangel demon, prince of Persia, that they were fighting with each other. This, of course, was something that Daniel had no idea about, no perception of. But as the angel comes to give him the message, he is told about this warfare, this real thing that's going on that he was completely unaware of. We have an enemy, and he is real. He is real. If you go back in the New Testament and you see the the ministry of Jesus, and not just Jesus, but even after Jesus in the times of the early church, we see here Paul talking about Satan. Jesus spoke about Satan. Jesus faced Satan face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat in the wilderness. He is a very real enemy, and his demons are present, and they are doing a work. And though we can't see them with our eyes, we can see the carnage. We can see the things that he's trying to do in individual lives. The things that he's trying to do in families. The things that he's trying to do in churches and communities and nations. Tomorrow, right? September 11th. I don't know exactly how it all works, but I believe certainly Satan had his hand in it. Don't you? This is real, folks. This isn't just something kind of figurative in the imagination. Satan is working. And oftentimes people spend a lot of their energy trying to figure out, you know, who's the cabal or the people behind, the mastermind behind all of these things, as if some group of humans have it all figured out and their fingers on the puppet strings. Friends, it goes deeper than that. It goes beyond us and it goes above us. When we were in Anchorage there for, we were in, doing that mission work and then church work in Alaska for 22 years, there was one occasion, I remember very specifically, we were meeting downtown, and we, it was not uncommon for us to have people come in off the streets downtown. There was a, a very large homeless population in Anchorage, Anchorage being the hub of the whole state and the place where there would be the most resources for people from different villages that would come in. And so a lot of homeless folks in Anchorage, and it was not uncommon for people to come in off the streets that were drunk, inebriated, or, or high on something. Um, remember one time we had prayer at the end of service, and I heard these footsteps of a large footsteps coming around behind me, and, and I was standing up front. It was like a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and I was kind of scared to death because I knew we had a, a visitor off the street, and I just tried to finish my prayer and, and say amen, and I took the, turned and looked around, and he was on the altar praying. He was, he was drunk at the time, but I didn't know what he was going to do behind me, but I was a little scared. But my point is there was one, one um, service, a Sunday morning service where a man came in off the streets toward the end of service and he, uh, he sat down and um, came up to me after, after the service and uh, he came to me and he said, preacher, give me your Bible. 
And uh, kind of strange thing for somebody to say. Of course, I had my Bible, and I didn't really want to give away my Bible, but I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to be friendly here. And I gave my Bible, and he was clearly high on something, but it went beyond being high. There was something very, very dark in this man. And there were some very, very, very dark things that he said to me. And I'm not going to repeat the things that he said, but there were a few others that gathered around and uh, helped kind of intervene and get this man steered back out on the street. But there was a certain very real sense that I had in that moment, and not just me, but Mary could attest to it too, and some others who were there. We were like, honestly, about nauseous for 30 minutes after that. And I, I felt very strongly in that moment I came face to face with somebody who was demonically possessed in a way that I never had before. Now, this is a real thing. And, and I, I honestly believe that intoxication and all those kinds of things are a doorway to the demonic. And it's something to be avoided. Okay? But that was something that was very real and very tangible and very dark and very scary in my face. And my friends, that's not often the way Satan will work. Because the Bible tells us he can also come as an angel of light. He can be right in front of you. He can be right next to you. He can be the person you think is actually a messenger of God. And it can be exactly the opposite because he can disguise himself. The fullness of that darkness can be disguised behind a mask. And you would never be able to know it by your senses. Except for spiritual discernment granted by the Lord through his word. We have a very, very real enemy, and he is very strong. Paul is telling the Ephesians, you're not fighting a person, okay? You're fighting a demonic army. This is, they're not like you. They are smarter than you. They are stronger than you. You know, if, if you had the opportunity to fight another person... Or an alien, which would you choose to fight? If you had any sense, you'd pick the other person, right? Because you know what their limitations are. You know what they can do. You know what they can't do. But when it came to the alien, you don't know what they can do. You don't have any idea. And in a sense, that's kind of what Paul is saying. This enemy is not like you. And so you cannot walk into this with a sense of self-confidence. They operate in a realm that is largely unknown to us. Things going on all the time that we don't even perceive. Jesus speaks to his apostles and said, I beheld Satan as lightning, you know, falling from the heavens. They didn't perceive that. They didn't see that. This was a significant event and Jesus says, I perceived it, but to them it was unknown. Paul here in this passage alludes to these spiritual ranks and orders that's not clearly explained to us in scriptures. Powers and authorities and principalities and all this stuff. And what does it all even mean? We don't know. And that's kind of part of the point. The Lord hasn't tried to explain this to us because there's really nothing in the sense of fighting Satan that we have to figure out to do on our own. There are things that we need to do. But this isn't something we're going to be able to figure out and grasp and understand all in our minds. This is above us. And I believe it is very biblical for us to have a healthy respect for the devil and his demons. Not in a sense of esteeming him or regarding him, 
but recognizing that he is a very real and a very dangerous enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is looking, he is checking the locks all the time, seeing where there is an open door, an open window to get in to your life. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He's doing this everywhere. He's doing this everywhere. The workings of Satan were present in the New Testament and they have not stopped. And Paul's message to the Ephesians is you need the Lord's help. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. There's a lot that we can talk about, and Lord willing, perhaps we'll get into that in the next few weeks as as God would guide. But I want us to think about the call the Lord makes in this passage. And you see it pretty clearly. I put it up here on the screen. There is a bit of a theme. Paul gets kind of repetitive when he's trying to make a point, to put an exclamation point on something. The call when it comes to Satan is to stand. To stand. To not give in to him. To not allow him to accomplish his goals in your life or in our church. But to stand. That's an important thing. That's an important thing for us to do. And we can only do that through the Lord's help. But what does it mean to stand? I think maybe as I was trying to study this, maybe the easiest way to talk about what it means to stand is to talk about what it means to fall. What does it mean to fall? What is Satan trying to do? What are Satan's devices? One thing that we can be certain of, absolutely certain of, is that Satan's going to come after the Lord's church. He's going to. The church, when God's church is working the way that it's supposed to, it is, it is the most special organization in this world. It carries forth an advance against the kingdom of darkness. I mean, we are actively able to go into places where Satan has taken up roost and able to do gospel good and see souls saved and lives changed and restored. That's the power of the gospel. That's the victory that the choir sang about this morning. There can be an overcoming of Satan. And you know how Satan feels about this, right? And so we know that Satan is going to be coming at us We cannot expect anything but the fact that he's going to be coming at us. And when he does, we need to be ready and able to stand and to not give back ground that God has given to us. Well, what kind of falls? How does Satan do this? How does he attack us? I want to look at just a few examples in Scripture that they're not in a certain order. But things that I, I saw in passages that just, just to me, tells me this is how he comes after us. The first one is he comes at us through false confidence. This is a Jesus speaking to Peter, right? That apostle who had told the Lord, 
even if all men forsake you, Lord, I never will. I am so sure of my love for you. I am so sure of my commitment to you. I feel so strongly about you, Lord, that even if all the other apostles left, I will still be there. As Jesus had told him that that night, the night of Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion, that Peter would deny him three times. Peter just didn't believe it. But Jesus explained that there was something else going on that Peter was completely unaware of. He said, Peter, Satan's after you. Satan wants to come in and just shake up your life, shake up your foundations and ruin you. You are so confident. You think you've got this all together and you don't know. Satan's got his sights on you. And Jesus said he had prayed for him. You know, friends, we have no idea how fragile things are at times. In times that we are the most fragile is when we're often the most confident. Confident in ourselves. Confident that we can overcome anything. That's when we're most vulnerable. That's when Satan is checking that doorknob and he sees an open door. Another way Satan works is he works through our fears. This passage doesn't specifically mention Satan, right? But notice what it says. It says, be anxious about... Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard. Guard our hearts and minds. Guard against who? Against the adversary who would love to come into your fears. To come into those areas in your life where there are things that you are anxious about and you are fearful about. And come in and enter through those doors into your life and undermine your faith. And it's important for us to address our fears. It's important for us to address our anxieties and take them to God so that we might be protected from the evil one who would seek to come at us that way and draw us away from God. Satan will come after us in our ignorance. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians here, 2 Corinthians, he said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I've espoused you to one husband, that was Jesus, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear, I'm afraid, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, subtlety, Your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you've not received, or another gospel which you've not accepted, you might well bear with him. I know that's a bit confusing, but the point is that Satan was working and Paul saw it. He was wanting to ruin their devotion to Christ, the simplicity of Christ, the Christ of the Bible. The Corinthians were being lured away to a Christ, to a different Jesus. A different Jesus that was shunned weakness and humiliation and suffering and death. They were hearing a a version of Jesus that was kind of like a prosperity uh, gospel version. And they were going after that. And, And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That's not the real Jesus. You see, Satan will come into our ignorance and try to pull us after 
a Jesus, a different Jesus that's not the real Jesus. And Paul was concerned about that. Satan will come at us through our pride. David, King David, a man who was a man after God's own heart in so many times, was pulled away by his pride when he was incited by Satan to number Israel so he could say, my nation, my army is this large. He wanted to know the number to feed his pride. And it was Satan behind it to get him to rely on numbers of people rather than God. Satan will come at us through our pain. Job experienced tremendous loss, losing all of his children and his prosperity in a day. And all of that was because Satan had come to God and said, the only reason Job is so faithful to you is because you have protected him. God had put a hedge about him. God was not letting Satan come after him. And Satan's comment was, you know, if if I were able to do what I wanted to with Job, he wouldn't fear you. He wouldn't respect you. In fact, I bet he would curse you. And so as the Lord allowed Satan a bit of leash to do some things in Job's life for the purpose of testing Job, Satan, of course, was trying to ruin him. Job was tested through his pain, through his loss, and through the difficulty. And I don't think it's an accident that Job's wife came to Job ultimately and said, why don't you curse God and die? Where do you think those words came from? You think Satan was trying to entice him through his wife to do the very thing that he told God that Job would do? Satan will come at us through our grudges, harboring a grudge, withholding forgiveness. That's exactly where he says we're not ignorant of his devices if we don't resolve things with other people. And we let that root of bitterness dig down into our heart and spring up. The Bible tells us it can cause many to be defiled. He comes after us in those issues that we don't want to resolve the hard things, the silence. He will work in that. He'll work through human wisdom. Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Satan is a master arguer. He can construct an argument argument and put together a series of logic that looks so good to us, so enticing, but yet lead us down the exact wrong path. You see, because by worldly wisdom, man has never come to figure out God, to know God on our own. It's only as God has intervened and God has spoken and God has given us truth that we've been able to be drawn to God. He will seek to come at us through worldly wisdom to draw us farther away. What about unbelief? Friend, if you don't know Christ, Satan is doing everything he can in his power to keep you from Christ. He is trying to work in the veil. He's trying to build a veil. He's trying to hide the beauty and the glory and the potential of Jesus Christ from you. So that you might see, that you might believe, that you might know what we know. 
what we've experienced. He will do everything in His power to make Jesus unappealing or uncaring or unable in your life. I heard it said here recently, you know, God's not boring. If the preacher or the teacher gets up and speaks about God in such a way that you find it boring, we're not doing our job. Because He's not. He's not. He is able. And He cares. And He has everything that you need for life and salvation. But my friend, He is the last person Satan wants you to perceive in your life. And He can give you a multitude, a million excuses to keep you away from Jesus. Satan will come at us when we're weak. He'll come at us when we're tired. He'll come at us when we're hungry, like he did Jesus in the wilderness, right? When Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, was without strength. That's when the tempter came, right? That's when Satan himself came, hand-to-hand combat with Jesus Christ when he hasn't eaten for 40 days. That's when Satan chose his moment. And what did he do with Jesus? I know we preached about this about a year ago. He went to every good desire, worthy desire that Jesus had, and he tried to take it and twist it. He tried to take it and twist it in such a way that Jesus would sin. But Jesus didn't fall for any one of his traps. But he came into Jesus and tried to take that which was good and to make it into something bad. Folks, this is a real enemy. And his desire is for us to fall. To fall for his lies. I believe we need to have a healthy humility about us when it comes to this enemy. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. And whether you realize it, whether you have perceived it or not, Satan and his army of demons have been at work in your life he wants many times to be subtle. He doesn't want to be seen. He want, he'd be fine if you don't even believe he exists. He would be fine if you think this is all just a bunch of mess and ignore it because it leaves you defenseless against him. The Apostle Paul encouraging this young pastor, Timothy, he gives him some advice, and I love this passage because I find it to be so helpful, but he gives us some insight in this as to what's going on He's talking about somebody who has fallen, who fell to Satan, who didn't stand, and how to help somebody who has fallen. And he says here in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2, 24-26, the servant of the Lord must not strive. We're not fighting people, okay? Again, this is not against flesh and blood. But we're to be gentle to all, apt to teach, patient in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You see, falling to Satan involves a trap. It involves a cage. It involves a snare. It involves a way in which he is trying to wrap your life up so that when you falter, you don't get back up. Okay? That's what he's trying to do. And this is exactly what? This is his will. 
those last words. This is what Satan is trying to do. If, if he lost you and you got saved, you're not his, but now he wants to ruin you. He wants to undermine your life, your ministry, your opportunity to serve, your effectiveness, your witness, whatever. He's at this. And it's a snare, and it's a trap that you can't find your way out of alone. See, Paul's instructing Timothy about how to come along and help someone who has gotten in a trap and they can't get out. What we see is that those who get caught up in this, those who fall to Satan, find themselves opposing themselves. Meaning, you find yourself in ways of thinking, ways of acting, heart motives that are self-destructive. Things that, things that you're, you're doing that are hurting yourself. Maybe sometimes you realize you're just hurting yourself. Maybe sometimes you even see that you're just destroying yourself. But that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to ruin you. He wants to hurt you. And, and the way he does this is to work in your heart and your mind. To get you to do those things he's calling you to do. Satan couldn't put that fruit in Eve's mouth. He couldn't make her bite down on it and swallow it. But what did he do? He worked in her mind. He told her lies. He got her to eat it of her own will. And then Adam to take a bite next. He didn't have to put a hand on him. He just had to get in their heads. He just had to get into their hearts. And my friends, when we gather here and we preach the word and we worship And we do these things, my friend, whether you see it or not, there is warfare going on in this very place every time we gather together. For Satan is trying to draw hearts and minds and people away from the Lord, away from what God is calling us to, the good. And he is trying to convince people to stay in prison, to stay trapped, to not believe in the power of the gospel, to not believe in the power of God to heal and to change and to turn things. And so with patience and with meekness and with humility, we need to continue to put out God's truth in prayer that God might help the captives to be set free. For that's exactly what he desires to do. You see, what Satan does is he works in hearts here as as people fall. He has turned people against the truth. Whatever that truth is that they need, whether it's Jesus for salvation or whether it's what the Jesus would have you to do, to get out of a situation. He turns you against it. And so Paul says repentance is necessary to get loose because you have to realize where you've been going wrong, where you've been turning away from the Lord and repent and believe and trust in Him and that way that He's called you to that you can be set free. This is a real thing because Satan's currency, all he has are lies. But what a powerful tool. What an effective tool it is in his hand. Right? He cannot make us do something. People say, well, the devil made me do it. I I don't believe he makes you. But oh, he can make you want to. He can convince you that whatever his path is, is the best way. If you can control what people think and feel, you control the person. Don't you? Isn't that what we're most afraid of when it comes to artificial intelligence? It's not about the robots rising up and attacking us. It's about the artificial intelligence 
influencing what people think, what they believe. And as they do that, as it does that, it's able to control people. My friends, that's exactly a page out of Satan's book, isn't it? I'm not so much afraid of the AI. I'm afraid of Satan because he's real. And he will use any tool that he can to get into our hearts and get into our minds. This is why the word of God is so absolutely important. This is why Christ is so important. This is why the ministries of this church are so important. When we try to minister in Sunday school, when we try to teach the adults and the youth to get together in Bible studies and we fellowship with one another and we do these things, my friends, whether we realize it or perceive it, this is about trying to stand against the enemy who is trying to get every one of us to fall. Our hope, our hope in all this is Christ. Our hope in all of this is the power of Jesus Christ, the victory that he won on the cross where he overcame Satan. He overcame death. All of the efforts that Satan had to try to undermine the work of Christ through Christ is the true victory that all who would trust in him could have salvation and eternal life. And ultimately, friends, he's going to come back and we're going to have that great victory. But Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, and again, this is where he's teaching us how to pray. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But one of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer at the end is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And literally it means the evil. Like the evil one. The evil day. Jesus tells us to pray that the Lord would protect us and that he would deliver us from the evil. The evil one. The devil. This should be part of what is on our minds that we are aware of, that we are actively praying because we have this sober vigilance knowing we've got a real enemy who is trying to get into our heads, who is trying to get into our hearts, who's trying to ruin our homes, who is trying to ruin our church and our community and our country and all these things. And we have to take this seriously. We can't be lighthearted about it and just pretend it's not real. This needs to be a a point of diligent prayer. But my friends, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He ends us with that. For Lord, you have the power. He has the power to protect us from the enemy. And if he would allow the enemy to have access for the point of reason for testing us, he can give us the power to stand. He can give us the power to stand. We never have to fall. But this isn't going to come of ourselves. It's going to come from us leaning upon the Lord. Leaning upon the Lord. I don't know a better way for us to end this message today than for us to pray. Than for us to seriously take this instruction, take what I hope that the Lord is using in your own heart and to pray to Him. 
to pray for whatever that need is. Of course, be aware of the enemy, right? But whether you need to pray for protection, or whether you need to pray for deliverance, or whether you need to pray for salvation, whatever the need is, that we would recognize that there is a real enemy trying to fight tooth and nail to keep us from what God desires. And our only hope is not in outwitting this enemy. Outlasting this enemy. Our only hope is to put our trust in Jesus Christ and to ask for the strength and protection that he alone can give us because he is coming after every single one of us. And this is real.